Hi, and welcome to Ludo Narrative Dissidents. This is Season 2, Episode 7, Morkaborg, a dark fantasy uh, role-playing game of dealing with the end of the world uh, as your colorful characters <laughs> go on dungeon crawls, fight monsters, and probably die horrible deaths. Uh, so this is a unique game in a lot of ways. Uh, it has been called an art punk game. It's uh, graphic design and art and style have gotten a lot of attention. It has led to a string of games inspired by it, both from its own developers like Cyborg, uh, which is its cyberpunk version, which has just come out recently, and third party versions such as Pirate Borg, which is Darkest Dungeon meets Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, also a Western game called Frontier Scum, among many, many other games. Um, but it is developed by, it was written by Pele Nielsen, uh, and the graphic design and art are from Johan Knorr, uh, and also a lot of public domain artwork repurposed uh, for the book. Something that, something that a quality operation like this podcast would never resort to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The lady does uh, protest too much. Um, something like that. Um, yeah, so I uh, have run this game. I, I, I read it. Uh, I'm very interested in it. I do not think it's a perfect game, but I, uh, if I were to summarize this game in one sentence, it would be the D&D that your parents and uh, uh, conservative activists imagine existed in the 1980s. <laughs> I, my, my very first note on it is the crack cocaine of satanic panic. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's very evocative in trying to go for a particular style. Yeah, there's there's a line in uh, Bill and Ted um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which the original title of which was Bill and Ted Go to Hell, which I think is a better title. There's a line <laughs> where what well, I forget who who says it's our oh, heavy metal album covers lied to us. Um, they did not lie to you in Morkborg. It is basically the role playing game of heavy metal album covers. Mm -hmm. Yes, you are. Um, I mean, my take on it is what you have here is stripped down, player-facing murder hobos in a grim, dark death metal umlaut dystopia. Mm -hmm. yep. There um, are no good guys. There is no he heroic aversion of tragedy. There is no wonderment of beauty. There's just rain, dirt, nihilism. And the end of the world, which is imminent and may happen randomly. Okay. Almost so did, at any point. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you got to get through all the the dark prophecies first, right? Oh yeah, there are. I think oh, it's like yeah. six or seven. I mean, you could certainly house through it very easily. Wait, 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 wait. Let me let me pull up, and I it'll be interesting to see if I have a different view of it because I I cheaped out and read the bare bones edition, right? Mm -hmm. And y'all have like the fancy version. Yeah, so the 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 style of Morgborg is so was especially when it came out in 2018. Uh, yeah, this is a fairly recent game. Uh, it was so distinct and unique that it uh, received a lot of praise, obviously for its graphic design, but also a lot of criticism. Uh, the the common joke being that it's un, an unreadable mess. Um, so they eventually released a bare bones edition, which is just plain text, black text on white uh, PDF, and. Uh, I have both versions with me. I have a print version of the of the regular book and then the the bare bones edition. So uh, the rules we're referring to are the um, the calendar of 
Nershal. Uh, they they Nerf do the uh, ne- yes, thank you. Or neck neck a uh, neck rubel. Sorry, that's a C, not an R. It's not an unreasonable mess. It does make fairly heavy use of black letter style lettering, but the body text itself is perfectly readable. And um, I've I have received much. I, I have paid for much harder to read role playing games than this that thought they were perfectly legible. I'm not going mm-hmm. to name any, but the kind of game that uses Caslon Antique as a body text font. Uh, hint, <laughs> never do that. It isn't. It's a display font. Anyway, I can sideline here. I'm not going to. Uh, Back to next rubel. Yes. Uh, so there are okay, miseries. So- yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I thought you had to get through all the miseries to get to 7-7, seven, seven, but no, you only have to get through six miseries before you get to 7-7. Seven, seven. Let me read Misery 7-7. Seven, seven. All praise yet Sabunek, the underworld's nightmare, the black disc which stands before the sun. All praise Verhu, beaming with delight. I'll praise the fire which burns all, and the darkness shall swallow the darkness. And the command is, the game and your lives end here, burn the book. Which is pretty (laughs) cool. I would like to know if anyone has actually ever burnt the book, particularly if they've ever burnt the PDF, because that could get expensive. (laughs) How much? Well, the book's, it's not a cheap book, right? Because it's a nice book. 40 bucks. 40 bucks for 96 pages. But it is yeah, hardback. Uh, yeah, it it's is a hardback. hardback yeah, it's a There's hardback a and full color, full color throughout. And yeah, okay. So, it's, is it full color? It, it's several colors. I don't know if it's full. Color. Well, color throughout. Let us yeah. say some pages are full color. I I liked the calendar. Yeah. No, I did. Well, in to to explain the miseries a little more, you you get to choose how long your campaign will be. You can have years of pain to the end is nigh, and you roll a die. Then years of pain is a d100, end is nigh is a d2. When you roll, and then there's sliding scales in between. You go d20, d10, d6. When you roll a one on the die, you add a misery, and each misery changes the game world in some way. You roll on a, a d66 table, you know, uh, basically like percentiles. Only like one d6 is the tens, and one is the ones. And then that changes the world. So like four one is for five days and five nights. The mother shall be the cloak of demons. And so they're very vague. There's no mechanics. The GM has to figure out what that actually means. And then uh, once you get to the seventh ministry, yes, the world. Oh, we should but, we should each yeah. read one of these in our most <laughs> sepulchral tones. <laughs> All right. Do you right. want to go first, Greg? And the blood cough shall spread like fire. Across the wastelands of the drought. James, go. And hunger shall come among you. You shall take roots and pull children from the breast. The goat shall prey upon the goat. That's a little more, a uh, little more Monty Python than Sepulchral, there, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, that's but. the thing is, I've despite the style of this book, uh, reading interviews with the developers, they run it for laughs. Like sure. it, there is this heavy metal like aesthetic, but it, I bet the game I ran was very closer to a Monty Python like style mm-hmm. humor than like. I mean, nobody took it seriously. They everyone yes! was having fun with it. Yeah. Yes, this mm-hmm. is. To me, this is my key impression of Merkberg, uh, 
is you if you give someone a setting that says every day we fall farther from God's grace and I'm here for it, it is my theory. Okay, so let's talk about bleed again, which we have talked about in previous in previous podcasts. Bleed is the empathy you form with fictional characters and such that when something bad happens to them, you feel uh, uh, the shape of the badness. And when something good happens to them, you feel a reflection of their joy. And Mirkberg seems to me to be deliberately designed in its tone to have bleed be something that happens to the characters and not the players. It's it's an anti-bleed game. It's like, this is going to be so over the top, so hugely overblown. You will never achieve any kind of emotional resonance with this char- these characters. Come on. You are just going to fuck around, kill stuff, take treasure, and, you know, probably die of typhus that you caught in a pit trap. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not just that the characters are going to be short-lived, and I'm not sure they necessarily are. I think the game cheats out on that. It's the fact that character generation starts with generating your equipment. Your equipment is literally more important than you are, than your character is. And the game makes that point literally from the, from the get-go. It's extraordinary. I spent a while wondering why have they done that. It's, oh, because the characters are completely peripheral. They're tissue paper. They don't matter, apart from, you know, they're a collection. <laughs> of tropes they don't grow there's no mechanics you know or, or even suggestions that your characters should change and you know as as people and develop and get stories or stuff the randomly rolled monkey that ignores but loves you probably is going to last longer in this game than you <laughs> yeah yeah did did we did we generate more borglings did we generate characters for this game i did we, we played through the sample adventure oh Rot Black Sludge? Rot Black Sludge, yes. Um, which I have I have opinions on. I mean, let's talk about the game before we talk about the adventure. Let's talk about the game before we talk about the adventure. The, yes. The adventure does some things that I think that I wasn't quite expecting from the rules. Oh. Um, so, okay. I mean, this is an, it is an OSR game. It categorizes itself as an OSR game. It is categorized by others as an OSR game. The style of role play is very traditional. Um, this is GM and players. There is no you roll the dice to see if you succeed or fail. There's no such thing as falling forward. There's no narrative mechanics as such. There's one meta currency which is omens, uh, which we will come to later. Um, but yeah, this is. It, it reminded me a lot of original D and D, white box D and D, in as much as there's a huge amount missing here. If this was your first role playing game, I I am not sure you would actually be able to work out exactly what you're meant to do with it. And that was the problem with a lot of the, the OD&D players. You hear, you know, various players, I have friends, oh, yes, I bought, you know, I was 12, I was 14, I saved up my pocket money, bought this amazing thing, puzzled through it, kind of cobbled a game together out of it and loved it. What we never hear from are the people who bought the thing, couldn't work out how to play it, put it on the shelf and forgot about it. Mm. But this is crap. There's an awful lot of mint edition copies of the white box out there in collectors' hands. So I think that happened quite a lot. So Morkbog is for people who have played, and I think played quite a lot of role-playing games, who are jaded, because this is a palate cleanser. Let me throw in 
an overly um, uh, elaborate metaphor that occurred to me as I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, so imagine you were living in a more advanced space-using society where there were several space stations orbiting Earth, and there were now there was now a market for craft that could get between space stations without ever having to launch off the planet or re-enter and land. They're just orbital, they're just cross-orbital shuttles. And I'm like, Morkborg is like that because, you know, a lot of other games feel like they have to be able to take off and land from the gravity well of total ignorance. They literally have to do the heavy lifting. Yes. Sorry, you were probably about to say that and I stole your punchline. I apologize. No, actually, honestly, I hadn't thought of that punchline, but... This is just... This is why I get the big bucks. That, uh, yes. Yeah, James. That, that, and it's, <laughs> it's not, we didn't just bring you along for your charming accent, but, um, I mean, and, and yeah, if you had never read a role-playing game before, you would read this and think it was the ravings of an unmedicated schizophrenic, but because you have the framework of, Decades of probably playing Dungeons and Dragons, which certainly all three of us have. You can read this and you have in your mind the the key that unlocks the cipher. And because it is built on this gigantic pile of shared assumptions, it can be very, very efficient in its its presentation. I mean, the bare bones is 76 pages and has optional rules. It's mm-hmm. it's assuming that you know how to do this. It's like that old meme about, well, oh, how do you draw an owl? Well, you start with, you know, you start with a sphere and then you put in the eyes and the beak and then you just draw the rest of the owl. You just draw the rest of the owl. Um, yeah. It's true. Uh, I think one of the reasons why Morkborg is so successful in that it is you know, we talk about like graphic design, and one of the reasons why I think it is uh, really appealing to so many people um, is because of its of its look of its graphic design. Graphic design is not just "Hey, look at me, buy me," but also like informational. It is like to guide you to the right information, and and also I think in this case motivational. I think um, one of the reasons why it has grab. I think there are going to be a lot of people who have never played a role playing game and see this in a game store. And it's so weird and unique and different that it will motivate them to play uh, and to learn this thing because it's so different. Um, I don't know that that's, I I don't know that it's going to have a lot of appeal for people who have never played a role-playing game before. I think if you're into metal, yeah, I don't know. I think it might be a little alienating if you're really into metal, but I mean, can you, can you grab more, can you grab and just, play it with you know as a patient zero of gaming i don't think so i think you can i think you can i think people have um because i think also now we live in the age of the internet so someone could buy this book read through it a bit and then like okay how do i play what the hell is this yeah exactly people can look elsewhere they can find stuff online but there was a a line that we used in have either of you guys seen violence which we published in year 2000 by designer x who's actually designer x which it's it was one of our new style games. It was only thirty two pages, and it's basically it's a 
it's a parody of D&D. It's a game in which you um, you tool up with, with weapons and, and armor, whatever you can get. You run down corridors, kick down doors, kill everything on the other side, steal their stuff, go on next door, next, next to brutally murder people. And it's set in modern-day New York. And that, when Greg pitched it to me with almost exactly that line, I laughed so hard that apple juice came out of my nose. Um, oh, and I, yeah. I, I had to commission <laughs> it. But there's a line in there, because it, it has the custom, because it's a parody of conventional role-playing games, it has the, uh, what is a role-playing game section? And uh, uh, Greg just says, um, brother, if you need to ask, this is not the place to start. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about Morkbook. This is not, a, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure people could learn to role play from it. I'm not sure it's the best, it's a good place to learn to role play. Uh, yep. But I think it, it could be possible. Um, in terms of the, the typography and the layout, I mean, as I said, it's not unreadable by any means. Um, it is not like any other role playing game. It is very. Well, there's there's one double-page spread that just has three weapons and their stats on it. That's all pictures of three weapons and their st- and how much damage they do. That's all. And it's brilliant. It's it's very <laughs> funny. Um, and, what what are the three weapons, says um, the poor man operating oh, on I the, found it. the bare I bones? Found it. I, I it is the flail, the crossbow, and the zwei. The zweihander! With an umlaut, yeah, of course. With with an umlaut, and I think yeah. it's and the lettering is huge, and you have to say <laughs> my hand because it's the most it's the weapon that does the most damage. Um, yeah. So there is my an, this kind of being. A, oh, there I see it. Yep, it's it's joking about the you know the the certainly when I started playing Dindy, I wanted the weapon that did the most damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it reminded me slightly of have I talked about ray gun before? I don't know if either of you guys mm-hmm. remember no, ray gun. No, I don't know ray gun. I'm 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 when you were talking about violence, I was thinking about power kill. Was that another new? That was Tynes, yeah. That was yeah. That on the flip side of of Puppetland, yeah, which was yes, the and and oh, the, yeah. the plot of power kill is you just play D and D, and then at the end of every session, add a scene where a psychiatrist is talking to delusional patients who believe. They are those characters, but who actually invaded a low-income housing complex and did everything the D&D characters did. It's, it's yeah, it, and it's three pages, and it's brilliant because it, it's times. I mean, one other older game uh, I've seen this uh, uh, more, more compared to is uh, Hold, Human Occupied Land. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Aesthetically. A treasure. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, the whole whole was handwritten, right? There was no, mm-hmm. there was no, and, and and it's whole because it's got an umlaut. Uh, <laughs> is it? No, it's not. It's a bar. It's a bar over the O. Because I remember we couldn't. Oh, right. I did a, printed a review of it, and there was no character in the font that we were using. And I actually had to go into a font editor and make one. Uh, such was my <laughs> diligence back in the so early that 90s, would be before I just went ah oh, oh, fuck it whole. <laughs> exactly whole. Human yes. I, I think they wrote landfill. most of it late night in a Dairy Queen somewhere. Yep. Um, it yeah. attracts extraordinary, beautifully self-aware game. Very, very funny. I mean, <laughs> another game that will make you laugh so hard that whatever you're drinking comes out of your nose. Not sure it's playable. I would agree. I don't think there's enough. In, I know people who have tried and have got something out of it because you, you know, there's enough in there. But it felt like a kind of almost an extended joke about role-playing games rather than an actual playable game. And I'm not sure 
they designed it to be playable. But what is the line from Puppet Land? Anything can be fun for an hour. Yeah. 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 But there was then, they did a supplement, Buttery buttery Wholesomeness. And um, there were rules in that that I think were trying to make it a playable RPG. And it just didn't feel right. And I, again, don't really know anyone who, who took it seriously. Well, again, we're we're back to my point uh, the, of uh, you know the sort of South Parkish. No, you will never. Th- this is just way too over the top. Feeling things is bad. Um, and, you know, maybe this is this is unfair to Mark Bark. Uh, is is, but I I do feel that it has, you know, intentionally or sort of unconsciously reached this no you are not going to connect to your character the way you might to a delta green character where the whole point is to make you feel for this poor bastard who is doing the unspeakable to avoid the unthinkable uh you know there there was somebody do you remember toy box tribes it was a game where you are all you know, toys that live under the bed. And and uh, I remember hearing about somebody's session of this. This was like two Forge designer guys who decided they were going to play Toy Box Tribes. And one of them was describing it. And he's like, yeah. And we just, even without speaking to each other, decided that we were going to take this so seriously and that this was going to be the toy's of a child whose parents were getting divorced and that the stakes of this game, the stakes of the adventure are, can we help this child process his parents' divorce without having some kind of emotional breakdown? And he's like, it was so sad and Mm -hmm. intense and amazing. And I'm like, Morkborg's the opposite of that. It is... (laughs) And and that's fine, because yeah. I'm like, not everything has to be a four-course buffet of emotional devastation. Yeah, yeah. you can you can revel in your player character's um, pain. I mean, you you generate them with horrible, horrible things already wrong with them. Uh, I'm trying to find the list. Um, yeah, yeah, you you do have like bad. Uh, um like bad physical traits, bad habits. Like there's, there's a bad lot. habit. Do you have to start with a bad habit? I think it's optional. optional. Like tables. I think so. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There are optional tables. Like character classes are tech are optional. Like you can just yeah. start a Mork board character with one hit points, a few items, and that's it. No magic. Powers, that's what no I did. I, I rolled up. He's just a, just some jag off with a sack, a monkey, a crossbow and medium armor. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, the bad yeah. habits, and there are good jokes in this game. Um, on page 40, you know, roll a d20 for bad habits. You can wind up with a nihilist. You insist on telling everyone you are a nihilist and <laughs> explaining why. Excellent. And I'm like, yup! Yeah, and there's references as well. Part of the equipment you can generate is a small but vicious dog. A that's, small but vicious dog! That's a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay joke. Um, oh, one of the God, characters we, we generated um, for my my test session, um, I'm trying to find exactly the reference uh, for what was wrong with his face. Um, <laughs> he basically didn't have one. Yeah, Rotting mm-hmm. Face wears a mask, 
um, which is on the broken bodies table, and then on the uh, the bad habits table, uh, rolled. You pick your nose so ble- so deep it bleeds, oh. and the combination of the two, yeah. it's you know, and this is a character generation. <laughs> this is not a character that you or anyone else is ever going to love, but you can have fun with them. I think. That that kind of illustrates the main point. I think the 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 fun in Morgborg is that Morgborg is a playground. It is a mm. metal playground in which for you to try out fun characters and fun ideas. Yes, um, and your character and, is essentially yeah. an action figure. It's not you. Mm-hmm. You're never going to have any rapport or bleed with them. Yes, you are just going to break the arms off and laugh. Yep. Um, I also really liked stress response is aesthetic display. The worse things get the fancier you need to be. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, yes, our I would. means death, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I would play the shit out of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know when I ran the game, like I had one player who played, I forgot the name of it, but like there's a couple of classes you can get. Uh, it's free downloads from the website. And one was the equivalent of a bard and was, you know, like wailing horrible <laughs> no. songs to doom things. <laughs> no. um, and then uh, there was one that was like literally the druid knockoff, which was uh, you turn into a wolf and ma- maul people. And then the core class, the esoteric hermit. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, they had a great time. Like we had a blast doing that. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the, the fun of it because Morkborg, um, I think, encapsulates sort of like the OSR principle I, I you know i'm not sure but like there is this idea in the osr and the nsr um of and for some reason 5e dnd does as well called the rulings not rules which is uh as greg you put it like gm fiat <laughs> with a yeah. nice ring to it yeah. yeah gm fiat um i've also heard it called viking hat gming um which I'm trying to remember the gag with the the GM wearing the Viking hat and my rules are final. Mm -hmm. And if you disagree, there will be symbolic dominance mounting. (laughs) And it's just, it's bad. Well, I mean, Um, whatever makes them happy in Sweden, I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yes, this is, well, this was, okay. So what's it do? I think we've covered. Yeah. Uh, I think. And how's it do it? And my my notes are Primal D20 and GM Fiat. It is, yeah. uh, as James mentioned earlier, it is player-facing. Uh, players make all the attack rolls, and it's a set target number for pretty much all attacks. It's like a DC 12 on a D20, mm-hmm. plus or minus your stat bonus. Um, you do have a meta currency, uh, Omens. Yeah, uh, which re- refresh like every time you sleep, I think, and you can use them for a lot of interesting benefits. So even though you can literally roll a D8 for hit points and start with one hit point, um, you have as, a as bit indeed, of survival. One of our player characters did. He had one hit point. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, and survived because there's, mm-hmm. there's two things. It it comes on like these are this is a bloody brutal game and your characters are just going to die in the first 10 minutes. Then there are some almost impossibly generous armor bonuses um, mm-hmm. That uh, your your armor detracts from uh, reduces damage, as does your shield, and you can throw away your shield. Basically, you can go. Oh, my shield adv- absorbs the entire blow. You lose and the shield, shatters. but it saves mm-hmm. your life. It's a get out of jail mm-hmm. free. And then you've got the omens, um, which are I think it's a choice of six, and they are essentially fate points. They get a, again, they get out of jail free cards, and you can replenish them multiple mm-hmm. times in the course of an adventure if you want to. 
um, which indeed my players did. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to have a rest here. We're going to go back to the room with the beds. We're going to have a rest. What, the one that had the skeletons? Yes, that one. We knocked the skeletons off the beds. We have a rest. We Wait, how do you recover omens? I just... I'm looking at the the rules, and it's like, oh, you start with one or two, and... Page 37. Well, page 37 says omens. Oh, regain that many omens after resting at least six hours. Okay. Uh, Use omens to deal maximum damage with an attack. Reroll a dice roll, yours or someone else's, which is very (laughs) generous. Lower damage dealt to you by D6. Neutralize a crit or a fumble, or lower a test uh, difficulty rating by... Four, lower I re- make it real easy and okay and so something I remember from my early D&D games is you know when we were all depleted and out of spells it's like okay time to sleep and we would just go into a room and crash out and that you know we'd, we'd go through the motions of putting up guards and whatnot but the GM never the DM the dungeon master oh wait by using the words dungeon master, did I just admit that this role-playing podcast is owned <laughs> by Hasbro? Sorry. <laughs> Edit that out. It is, um, it is it has I think not it's, been published yet. So yeah, we, there fine. may be a difference if you put a space in it or not. I think they've got one trademarked and possibly not the other. So we might be all right. Mm, just yeah, I'm just limboing under that. But uh yeah, our the our game runner. The referee. Never, yeah. The referee yeah. never was like, okay, you have been running around murdering people in this enclosed space for a half hour. But no, you're going to sleep for eight hours and no one's going to look for you. No one's going to kick the door down. No one's going to be <laughs> knocking. Say, hey, uh, Gruthank the Overslayer, are you in there? We've been having some trouble down <laughs> in the gematorium and we just wanted to make sure you and your family were all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah um that that is uh, uh a typical D trope that is still carries over to mark board um because yeah it, it it is a game of uh having fun more than anything else like it's it's a very minimal rule set in fact the end of the book has like a one page rule summary which covers pretty much everything except like the names of uh, what your exact you know class powers and scrolls do instead of spells uh, you know, esoteric hermits or anyone who has a scroll can cast a spell from that scroll if they make a uh, presence check. Um, and then everything else, like all social things are handled with reaction table. Uh, morale is handled with a single 2d6 uh, reaction table. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very fast system once you get into it. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to adjudicate and make up rules. Uh, another thing is also player characters do get, a agility test to avoid damage. So enemies just hit you unless you dodge out of the way. Uh, and then yeah. if they hit you, you get your armor to subtract from it. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, player, it, player facing roles. Players make all, all the roles in combat. Mm-hmm. There are times where the, the, the game runner, um, I can't see, I'm flipping through to see if there's an actual term the game uses for, for, who, for, for the referee, uh, page 33, getting better. The game master decides game when the character master, should okay. be improved. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Initiative is just a roll d six, three or less. The enemies go first. <laughs> uh, four through six, PCs go first. Agility plus a d six for the individual initiative. Or um, yeah, it's it's very fast. It's very easy to teach to people. Uh, at least uh, experienced role players. Now, used to RPGs. all right, yeah. yeah. Um, so my question. So uh, looking at the extreme reliance on oh, your GM will just 
figure something out. Mm-hmm. And the grim dark setting, I'm like, is grim dark the best tone for reliance on GM fiat? Because when it's grim dark and something and something you don't like happens in your GM's like, oh yeah, your your character's leg is just severed. You're just you're just bleeding out everywhere. You're just screaming and pissing yourself and there you're gonna be dead in seconds. If that was in a tone where you know you you where that was shocking, you might be more tempted to push back. But in in you know uh, Merrick Berg, it's it's just like, well, <laughs> that's Merrick Berg, baby. <laughs> Why would I think my leg wouldn't get severed? Well, I think part of it is also like this is a game that like assumes you're going to be using a lot of random tables in it. Like there are a ton of random mm. tables, not just for PCs, but for uh, adventure hooks, uh, dungeon hooks. Um, there's random encounter tables and the default adventure. Yeah, um, when was the weird. last time you encountered a random encounter table in in a modern adventure? Mm-hmm. I can't remember seeing one in decades. Okay. Well, they're all the rage in OSR and NSR games. <laughs> well, uh, sure. Let okay. me tell you. Shows I mean, I, I do want to. I do. I kind of want to mention the difference. I think between OSR and NSR, and I think this is more NSR. And this is a very pedantic point, but like. OSR in general, do it. James and I have certainly (laughs) never made our pedantic points about layout or use of the future conditional. It's true. Uh, Is there any future conditional in this? In this, Greg, there Uh, is world with no future. So I'm sure. (sighs) I feel like there would be. I mean, they did pretty well. They made it to page 17 in the bare bones edition uh, before using it. And I'm like reading (laughs) Rot Black Sludge and I'm like, this is so written to be fast and efficient and not have any frills or fluff. And, you know, but it still uses needless future conditional six times. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, well... Uh, truly, Sorry, I, I interrupted you there, uh, Ross. I'm gonna. No I'm just gonna let you say your thing here. Um, so OSR stands in general for old school renaissance or revival, um, and it's basically um, this started about ten years ago, I think. Um, you know, with games uh, Labyrinth Lord and Mazes of Minotaur and Lamentations of the Flame Princess and just dozens of games meant to emulate like role playing games in the late seventies to like early eighties, like the White Box and uh, OSR game, a lot of these uh, uh, sort of first wave, from my uh, observation, were trying to slavishly imitate old D&D, but make it weirder or more, quote unquote, adult, you know, by putting more boobs and killing and ritual sacrifice in it. Um, <laughs> Don't hold back, Ross. Tell uh, us how you really feel. Yeah. Uh, but like. Then they started changing. People were wanting to actually do game design innovations. And the game that really made me notice this was Dungeon Crawl Classics. I think I mentioned before on the podcast, it had really interesting rules. And also, like like I mentioned, the luck mechanic in our metacurrencies episode. Also, like the idea of the peasant funnel, which is an entirely new idea for me, where you had four level zero peasants. Every, every player had them. So you had like 20 peasants running through a dungeon. Any peasant that actually made it became a got a level in a character class um and that was how you were supposed to start your campaign and uh but these games are taking like they want to have that same feel that play feel gameplay feel of like old like late 70s early 80s stuff but have you know different rule system like like Morkborg player facing like osr games i don't think would ever do that they would always have 
player rolling and GM rolling for attack rolls and all this other stuff. Um, but Morgborg has meta currencies. It, it's player facing. It has uh, some real interest, like some game design stuff from this century. <laughs> and uh, they want to get the feel of it. So stripping down the rules that they don't like, you know, like grenade scatter diagrams and things like that. And like things that they do like, like weird random tables that make the game feel very chaotic and unstable oh and unpredictable. I- yeah. Is is Dueling Fops one of these? Did I accident <laughs> did I accidentally design something into a movie? No, movement? that's a story game. That that no, no, no. Okay. Dueling Fops is definitely not. <laughs> Thank that God. Game. Thank you God, go, man. You go to ballrooms, not dungeons, and dueling fops. Um, so yeah, that that is a very different beast. Um but yeah, Though they're I all about dungeon lo- calling. Yeah. I, I do love me a random table. Random tables are great. Exactly. And, they, and like and these, there is no this is shortage of them here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's fun to have a random table. Uh, mm. I'm looking at the corpse plundering continued pile right uh, table right now. So mm-hmm. exactly, and so I think it's to get that feeling of playing a, a role playing game and not knowing what's going to happen and not caring and just driving your character like a stolen yes. car and uh, making memorable, unique experiences that can never happen. Like Morkborg doesn't want to emulate like fantasy literature or movies or anything. It wants to be itself and make a different narrative experience than like reading a fantasy novel or, um, Listening it, it to a metal wants to emulate the sensation of listening to Godspeed, you Black Emperor. No, that's too, way too slow. Like, no, this is more, no. Yeah. I, I think it was oh, a yes. It wants to replicate the way that you felt playing D&D the first time you played it. Yes, yes. When you were 14 and everything was new and really exciting. I think that, that that sense of play is really important too, because I know we're just focusing on the main game, but like there is a thriving market of third party content for uh Mork Borg. And I kind of want to get some of it because like there's something I saw in Exalted Funeral recently, uh, which is a uh, distributor of zines and other RPG stuff. They also did the Monty Python RPG um, Kickstarter last year, but uh, just, I'll just read you this one thing. Uh, the cross. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> noticed that it says how to pronounce the title all this time. I've been making fun of it. And it says it's Merck Borg. Merck Borg. Merck Borg. Right. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> My apologies to Pell Nilsson. I, Man, have I been being an asshole all this time, guys? It, it was it was a sure. error made in good faith. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it was, Ross. Uh-huh. The Cross Stitch is a complete folk adventure for Merc Borg that can be played as a one-shot part of the campaign. It uses a unique time loop mechanic that ratchets up the tension every turn with accompanying tables and charts to help track the goings-on of Sonderfall's uh, 14-plus denizens a town that has disappeared and is coming back. So there's a time loop in it. So it's groundhog. It's from judging from that description. I'm guessing it's like a groundhog's day thing, but in a, you know, fantasy village and figuring out what's going on. So it doesn't matter if you kill everybody in the village, they're going to come back in the next loop. Um, (laughs) So like I, and I've seen a lot of other adventures and material for Merc Merkborg that uh, has really interesting game design ideas and it's very easy to create new content for it. So I think that's very appealing to it. Well, all right. And you sent me a interview with the creators where they're like, we never wanted to make any money. We never planned to make any money of this. We never thought it would succeed. Nobody in Sweden liked it. Uh, (laughs) We're shocked. We're selling the books for basically what they cost to print. How much of that is, I mean, what's, what's going on with this? Are the, are the creators not 
driving Formula One cars made of cocaine now? Are they not getting rich off of Merkborg? They do have wildly generous, um, basically, third-party license agreements, which are all up on the website. Anyone can use them. Anyone can pretty much publish stuff for the, for the game without approval, um, and I think without paying them any money. Um, but of course, that then drives sales of the basic games and the and the actual yeah, supplements. Yeah. So I assume they are doing well out of it. Mm-hmm. Also, you know they 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 got all that socialized healthcare and whatnot, so they they, they have a safety net. Must be nice. Hey, that never helped the British RPG scene. Oh well. All right, fair enough. Um, I, I'm sorry, I was laughing so hard I didn't hear what James said. <laughs> it never helped the British RPG scene. Um, uh, not particularly, anyway. Yeah. Um, Oof. Ow, ow. Though, though arguably Slay Industries, I think, was written but mostly by a bunch of guys on their, you know, with their, their dull money, and they got a small grant from the government for a small business um, grant or, or something because um, they, they had a suit that one of them put on and went to an interview. Um, I, I exaggerate, but only very slightly. Um, sure. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was done – very, very much on a shoestring. And if you look at the original Slay Industries rulebook, really does not look it. Uh, the only cheap thing was the binding, which was not their fault. It was one of those mm-hmm. exploding rulebooks, um, mm. which is one of the reasons Hogshead took it on, actually, and, and did a, a reprint, because um, our we knew our copies wouldn't explode, and everyone who loved the game, their copies had exploded. So uh, <laughs> yeah. we were fairly sure there'd be a market for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, nice. I digress. Um, you do, but that was an, that was another game that was kind of almost gratuitously dark, and it was hard to understand or hard to work out if the creators actually meant it that way, or if you were, if it was tongue in cheek. Um, I, th- I, I I think there is just this great appeal of games that are incredibly thematically dark, and then the 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 whole fun is not treating it seriously because it's not just this. It's yes. like play industry, the- like the big the big bad the big uh, uh, the elephant in the room is obviously Warhammer, uh, which is the the grimmest of darks, and yeah. uh, very few people take it excessively seriously. So yes, but then that's uh, a book full of puns as as mm-hmm. well. You know, there's there's silly jokes in it. Yeah. And and what the grim dark does is it narrows your expectations tremendously, and it's like no, we are not, we are not gonna do a love story in this, or if we are, it is gonna be played for laughs, and those laughs will be very crude and fart based. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's it shuts catharsis. off a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I think um, it is it's a kind of catharsis. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It is whistling past the graveyard, and you need to have a graveyard to whistle past. Yeah. And let's, you know, the world we live in is, is grim enough with, with everything that, <laughs> that's going on. Um, to be faced with a world that's even grimmer and to be able to not take it seriously is enormously enlightening. It's, it's a relief. It's, uh, as you say, it is cathartic. Comparing the aesthetic of Merkberg to say, like, actually fit that D&D, I think is very informative because uh, D&D, if anything, it is presents a very clean, um, not quite wholesome, but like, uh, I would say sanitized appearance <laughs> to like adventuring and questing and like fighting monsters and dungeons. Everything is very painterly and illustrated. <laughs> and uh, to Merkberg, it's like it's dark, dangerous and dirty. 
Um, and uh, it is no a- one shits their pants in Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly, mm. exactly. Um, <laughs> not, not in Hasbro's Dungeons and Dragons. I can't <laughs> stop laughing there. And is there any other? Um, no. I mean, Pathfinder does that to a degree too. Like they, they kind of follow the D and D model. I think at least in well, and aesthetic. it's and that's it's it's leg- a legitimate aspect of fantasy is this sort of beauty and wonderment, and you know you can have a session in a lot of games where it's like, okay, now you come to the Palace of the Butterfly King, and if you're if your GM is really good at evoking stuff and has a bunch of splendid art to show you it's this this magical moment but you know Merkborg is like nope not doing that no mm-hmm. no yes album covers here only slayer album covers um so yeah i mean i have we have we reached how people play because i'm like Bashy smashy yeah. in a in the moral board. I was going to talk a little bit about the sample adventure. The sample okay, adventure, yeah. the hit sample, it, James. The sample adventure, the rot bat, uh, black sludge, which again felt like an adventure out of the late seventies or the early eighties. There are massive holes in it. This is it's a dungeon bash. The game sets up this extraordinary baroque mad world that's coming to the end, and then goes and and here's a dungeon. And that's basically, yep. and there's all the things, the things in the world that changes the prophecies, all the rest of it. You don't notice. You're going to be in a dungeon. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is unsure how, you know, except for this, the sense of encroaching doom within the greater background. But none of that's actually going to impinge on you. So the, the sample adventure um, was set in a place called the Accursed Den. There's a quest giver who only exists in, in sample text, in, in read aloud text. You can't even ask him any questions because no answers are supplied. Why is it called the Accursed Den? I don't know. My players asked me. It's because it's a den, and and you probably, it, I think the dens are cursed, or, or people that go in are I don't know. Um, but it's an old, it's old school as well. Literally, this is not a major spoiler. There's the entrance, um, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll do I'll do the first two rooms. The entrance, uh, it's just a kind of cavern. There's a lit oil lantern. Every room has lit lanterns in it. It is never explained who actually goes around the dungeon putting the oil in the lanterns to keep them lit. Um, it's probably one of the twisted guards. Probably one of the twisted guards, possibly, but there's areas they can't really get. Anyway, um, there is also there's a small stream of water and black-violet butterflies flap haplessly over the water. There's a little note. The only note for the room, for the kind of GM advice, the stuff that you don't read out to the players, is if you eat the butterflies, it will heal D6 hit points. <laughs> and and it's just why why would you eat the butterflies? It struck me immediately at this point of of text adventures where you're trying to work out what it is you're supposed to do with the butterflies, and you'd just be typing in verb noun combinations until you finally hit the right verb. Eat the oh, you eat the butterflies. What happens? Do you run out of butterflies? How many butterflies are there? How many chances do you get? You just keep trying stuff. Eventually, oh, they heal hit points. And there actually is a role-playing game that does this. Jared Sorensen's Parsley. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've never seen this one. Parsley I thought is, I was... F- it's tiny. It's it's like, I think each one is almost literally printed on, a, you know, a, a sheet of paper folded cleverly. 
Um, but it's basically the player or players is the player of a text adventure and the GM is the computer. And it's Wait, so this is spelled Parsley, P-A-R-S-E-L-Y. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a great concept. It's really fun. It's really it's just it's great. It's crystalline. It's it's perfect oh, in, in what it is. And he's cool. done a whole bunch of them. Um oh. but it felt a bit like that. It's you know, I mean my players just breezed straight assumed the butterflies were set dressing and just yeah. walked straight past them. Mm-hmm. Then you walk into a dining hall, um, and there's a bearded man at the far end of the table, skin ash and grey, eyes dark, dressed in a dusty old cloak. This is a the only real spoiler. If everyone sits down at the table, the man comes to his senses and erupts with rumbling laughter. He tells stories of old for a few minutes and then slowly and and irrevocably regresses into his own world again. Who is he? Never explained. What purpose does he hold? Not explained. Does he have any secrets? Not explained. He's just James. Yeah. He tells stories of old. Yeah. I mean, what more do you need? They're, you know, it's of old stories, you know. My, my players spent some time those. trying to get some information out of him or work out who he was or what relevance he was to the plot. But then my player, I mean, they're not story gamers. They're not modern role players, but they have grown up on narrative games, games where you expect the adventure to tell you a story. And there is a story within this one, but not really... Not one in which well, there's stuff that's in there just kind of for color. There's monsters that just kind of exist to be monsters. Why would you have a room that's you know with skeleton guards that just leap up and try and kill? It, it's yeah, it felt really old school. And the, if you're yeah, not the, ready where there for are that, things that are just arbitrary, completely yeah. arbitrary, and it didn't. It did not work for my players because that was not what they were expecting. I think if uh, if I'd said, this is going to think back to the early 80s, and they would have looked at me and gone, we were not alive. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, they might have enjoyed it a, a bit more if they got, okay, this is primitive dungeoning. Um, but then there's also a level in which you just, I felt there's an expectation that you're just expected to bash this dungeon in the same way you would in violence or something like that you're supposed to rampage into the room and either kill everything there and take its stuff or work out what triggers what's going to try and kill you and then kill it and take its stuff um there's an awful lot of stuff that only becomes available you know available from searching corpses or searching you know ransacking a room um it's very old school um it's we enjoyed it we did not enjoy it nearly as much as I thought it was going to. The dark humor did not really come through. You sounded like you you didn't really uh, like you weren't certain whether you enjoyed it. I there's some there's a couple of extraordinary moments. There's a, a thing with two skeletons on top of a pillar of stone in a, the pit of the rock black sludge, and the yes. skeletons are just up there playing violins, and that's all they do. And occasionally you can, you know, you're in another room and I was able to know you can hear the violin. The violin music becomes stronger or becomes faster or, or something like that. And I had a bit of fun with that. But it's, it's a beautiful image and there's a lovely piece of art for it. Never explained who put them there, what they're there for. They're never used within the text of the adventure to to amplify anything or, or create anything thematic. It's just a beautiful, beautiful image. And that might be enough. But again, this is a role-playing thing. You're within it. The players did not look at this and go, 
This is just a beautiful thing that is there for our enjoyment. They wanted to work out what they were for. And there is no reason. My, if there. I had been playing in this dungeon, I would have attempted to throw something at them or shoot them with my crossbow. Hmm. And there's no, and it doesn't explain what happens if you do that. Nope. Um, what I'm reminded of is uh, something Ken Height put in uh, uh, in Wild Talents, which is built for superhero gaming. And he had these gauges you could adjust to get a to get different types of comic book experiences. And one of them was the blue gauge, which was the beautiful and the pointless. And it's like in a high blue game, it's stu- and the, the example he gave was Wonder Woman's Invisible Plane. And there's no it's like, is there an origin story for Wonder Woman's Invisible Plane, or how, or why, or is it just this amazing thing? And, okay, and I said that, you know, you're not going to go to the Court of the Butterfly King and see these beautiful things that will give you one of the rewards of fantasy fiction, which is this moment of oh, wow, that's really cool and pretty, and the Yes album cover experience. And so maybe this is, you know, maybe the skeletons are just the gothy death metal version of that, is that, you know, no, there are some things that are beautiful for no reason. They are just present to provide mystery and awe. Wonder Woman's yeah. Invisible Plane, I don't know who created it, but I do know that it was in there almost from the start. It appeared within three months of the first appearance of Wonder Woman. It's, it's, it's you know, goes right back to... And it is a bizarre thing. <laughs> it is. Um, I think this sort of illustrates, like, the um, OSR sort of, like, philosophy in a lot of ways, or the NSR philosophy, uh, whatever you want to call it, which is to say, like, adventures, everything is a, a framework, and it, the the assumption is that uh, most GMs will try to uh, house rule it or modify it to suit their own games, like... There's nothing stopping you from giving the old the, the quest giver a lot of exposition and oh yeah by the way you there's some cool butterflies you should they're tasty you should try uh, give me bring me some of back of those you add them you could have the violin skeletons actually talk and take requests there's nothing stopping you from doing that but the other the the flip side of it is to create interesting things that make you think or like oh wow that's cool without actually having like a game purpose in them this is uh, there's I've read tons of adventures that do this in the osr philosophy you know from the last 10 years some of them badly like there's a grandfather clock in this cabin that is a world-shaking artifact with time powers and the pcs mess with it the campaign's basically over but there's no indication that if they touch this grandfather clock everything's going to be destroyed haha <laughs> that like uh there are bad implements gotcha like yeah basically it's gotcha. it's yeah. the tomb of it's it's the annihilation mouth in tomb of horrors it's but like, it's not mm. even lamp posted like the the uh, it's not in danger it's just in an abandoned cabin um and but like that i, I, I have that, nothing that's, in my past experience to make me expect that tinkering with a grandfather clock in an abandoned cabin is going to destroy the cosmos yeah exactly uh the but i think that's sort of like 
appeals to the 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 hardcore Merc board mm-hmm. player is that it is weird, unusual, and different. Like it doesn't all have to make sense. It, I mean, because of also the chaos, the chaotic nature of the game with all the random tables, it's never going to like narratively all fit together. There's going to be like this dissonant, this narrative dissonance, you know. Uh, in it because it's like, well, why did where did the, that random encounter come from? Why didn't they attack us while we were sleepy? Like, why, why, why? Like, don't worry about it. It's just vibes. Like, you're just there is my- no why the yeah. world is dying. Exactly. Yes. Like this is it's all absurd anyway. Yeah. yeah. You are gonna come out of this dungeon and possibly discover that uh, you know Saul that that uh, prophecy six five has come to pass. The earth shall vain bringing black serpents forth from within the earth. You're going to get out. There's going to be black snakes everywhere. And you're going to be like, dudes, when we came, when we went in there with it, I don't remember all these black snakes. Do you remember these black snakes? Exactly. And they'll just be like, dude, it was a prophecy. Get over it. Well, yeah. It, and again, it's old school. You start the game at the entrance to the, you know, you're supposed to be convicted criminals and this is your, your last chance. You've got to go in and rescue a hostage out of the, This is not a spoiler. It's in the intro. Um, you know, but you start at the entrance to the dungeon, and the game li- finishes when you leave the dungeon. There's nothing about actually where the dungeon even is. I saw something um, just this afternoon going, "Oh no, it's in the uh, r- abandoned ruins of someone's old palace." It's, I'm pretty sure that's not in the main text. Um, but it's it's the adventure in the rulebook. It's a template for this. You know, when you do that. What you're saying is this is the way that you set out a Morkborg adventure or an adventure for this particular system. So people will take it as a template. And sure. while there's some really interesting stuff in there, it didn't work for me, I, I have to say. it's um, We had a bit of fun with it, but I, I'm i going to say I grew out of this style of adventuring really pretty fast uh, as, as a team. And going back <laughs> once or twice was quite nostalgic but I don't want to live there. That's fair. Um, I think it's something like I didn't grow up with that. I, like my first ro- uh, RPGs were uh, uh, Palladium and uh, AD&D, which is definitely not <laughs> too complex to be considered old school. I think uh, AD&D is that goes wacko. But, um, you know, I played another adventure uh, that was a free PDF download from the website, the Goblin Grinder. And that actually oh. had a more controversial element of the setting, which is the the goblins in Workburg are like an existential threat uh, because uh, if you read the goblin entry, um, they if uh, a, if a goblin attacks you, whether or not it hits or not, the act of it attacking you curses your character to become a goblin unless you kill that specific goblin. Um, so a goblin can throw a rock at you, run away and hide, and then in a matter of days you are cursed to become a goblin. Um, and the adventure is about like someone that has a machine called the goblin grinder that takes human corpses and makes them into living goblins and is, uh, trying to take over the town that way. Like the alchemist has gone mad. So you have to find the goblin grinder and shut it down. And, um, I added a lot of elements to it. You know, there, I added characters like, Oh, let's find a merchant to buy something. Okay. Well, I guess there's a merchant now. And maybe this merchant wants the goblin grinder for himself for nefarious reasons. Um, and the players wound up like befriending the slime in the alchemist lab and having it gain sentience and attacking the goblin grinder for them. Um, and was, cause like, I was like, why not? Yeah. All right. Well, it's collaborative. If you want to make a friend from this dangerous monster, you have a bard with you. Yeah. You can, you can sing to it and convince the non-intelligent slime to become intelligent and, uh, to sing the Roll song. That won the presence. World. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think, yeah, there was a couple of crits on a presence check or two. So, um, 
and I can see it. It would be so fun to be the GM and you're controlling this slime where it's like, yeah, I used I used to live in a darkness of ignorance. I did not know myself until this beautiful man taught me to be. Mm-hmm. I would die for him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it creates interesting, fun opportunity. Again, it's a playground of a game. Um, I think Merkberg, or like, if you're the kind of person who is greatly amused by the game, video game Dwarf Fortress, or reading stories of people uh, getting into various shenanigans of Dwarf Fortress, I think Merkberg would uh, appeal to you because I think this is obviously a game that is uh, very good for one shots, uh, and campaigns are going to be very chaotic, weird affairs. Uh, you know, like a hex crawl. You know, will. Uh, was it Western Marches um, style hex crawl campaign? Um, whereas you're just relying on random tables to create the the setting for you. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's the appeal of Mercury. If that doesn't sound cool to you, then yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is for people who enjoy Dwarf Fortresses. Dwarf Fortress is trying to impose structure on something, you know, trying to contain something, a structure which is going to inevitably sprawl out into chaos and, and fall apart. In Morkborg, you have to embrace the chaos. You have to accept that everything is going to go horribly wrong and end up in disaster impends. What you going to do? You know, if you're only knee deep in entrails, you're probably doing well. Yeah, I guess I'm going to eat some butterflies. Go for it. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I I think the thing is, though, in Dwarf Fortress, the mantra is losing is fun. Um, and I yeah. think that's kind of the key is that chaos always wins in the end. Um, so yeah, maybe it is a different approach, but, um, but I, I, way, I get what you mean yeah. about reading about Dwarf Fortress because <laughs> yes, the chaos will always win. You know, they're not going to succeed or they, mm-hmm. you know, on the, the rare occasions where they do succeed in a Dwarf Fortress right it's like, Oh my God, these dwarves are serious heroes. Yeah. Um, or it's boring now. I've got to start a new settlement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things are too stable for my liking. Um, yeah, uh, so I think we're ready to move on. Uh, well, I, I guess we're already talking about why people play it that way. I mean, yeah, it's it's lightweight fun. It's uh, nobody is going to have an experience in Merkborg that I mean, I suppose you might. It's so chaotic, anything might turn up, but it is not built to make you think or feel things deeply, which is fine. Not everything has to do everything. It is, you know, it's built to be lightweight fun, and I can see how it would be extremely fun, uh, especially if you had, uh, I don't know, some beers or like (laughs) a high caffeine caffeine drink with some rum in it. Mm. Yeah, it'd be a real treat. Morkborg, like, I also, I have to say from its game design, I deeply appreciate that it is a game I can just, like, invite players over uh, and have them make characters at the table. We don't have mm. to do a session zero mm-hmm. to make characters ahead of time, and it's highly randomized, so it's fun and interesting, and uh, all the random roles are optional. You can just pick classes and whatnot. Can Can you imagine having a session zero from Morkborg and going, all right, now, so... What sort of themes do we want to explore in this in this campaign? No, it's not that. Yeah. It's <laughs> what, what level of child cannibalism is acceptable to this group? <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. It's. It makes me think of Waffle House, right? Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of games are trying to be molecular gastronomy, but there's a reason there's Waffle Houses everywhere and they stay open even when there are hurricanes. It's yeah, it's um, extremely robust. It, it and, is, yeah. Uh, I should mention some of, the, like I mentioned earlier, some of the, the, the spinoffs of Merkborg. Um, and uh, like I did play Cyborg, uh, a friend of mine, Max, from Relatable Roles podcast, ran a one shot of Cyborg. And it's very similar, but, but it, it has, uh, you know, a very glitchy, like, uh, uh, like wired magazine from the early 2000s punk kind of aesthetic to it. Uh, which <laughs> like um, you have glitches instead of omens um there yeah there is very fun there was actually a, a i saw a thing on itch.io of like adding godzilla to cyborg like there's a random table of which way <laughs> is the giant kaiju moving through the city and how is it going to affect every hex in the entire city and i was like oh man i really want to do that one day um oh yeah there's a Merkborg adventure about fight like a dungeon inside a giant monster like fighting through its various organs as like chambers of a sure. dungeon um and that's not that innovative it's no. fun though there's um, a dreamcast rpg from the late 90s that did that uh you know okay. when it's been done in a video game it's not, <laughs> not innovative um i think one of my favorite uh rules Th- of thank you for being so snobby that you spare me having to do it <laughs> oh my pleasure I am- yeah um <laughs> Frontier Scum, which is the Western one, is a very weird Western one, but it has okay. a similar thing to the Shield, but I think a lot better. So every character you play, you know, some sort of uh, a saddle tramp, you know, wandering hobo with a gun, um, and you you just have reloads of ammo. When you roll one on an attack roll, you lose a reload. But like the best is the hat rule. So every character starts with a hat, and um, the first time to- the Indiana Jones hat. Yeah, well, yeah, a cowboy hat, or, or it could be a bolt. Yeah, actually, roll. There's a random hat table. Of course, I'm sorry. Of course, uh, yeah. Um, but when your character gets attacked, you can choose to have the attack knock your hat off, and then at the end of the fight, and you take no damage. Uh, at the end of the fight, you can roll to see if your hat survived. So this gives characters actually a good amount of survivability because, you know, fights only last a couple of rounds. They shoot you, it knocks your hat off, you shoot them, killing them, and then hopefully your hat survives or they have a hat. You can loot from them. So as long oh, as God, so you can have multiple hats. Oh, no, yeah. my sombrero, it's destroyed. Well, guess I'll have to take this dusty old Hamburg. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, uh, uh, you know, you, you're you're aware of the thing where Indiana Jones's hat represents his mortality, and that's why he mm. never abandons it behind him, even oh, when going okay. back for it, like threatens his very life. I did not. Uh, so, I, I mean, thinking back, yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Uh, sorry, I, sorry, I, just some English major shit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's great. Um, but I, on on the list of of. Um, you know, various supplements and spin-offs and stuff. I was very surprised, given the, the game's Swedish heritage, that nobody has yet done Borg, Borg, Borg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you look on H.io, there are literally hundreds of supplements for it already. Um, it is a bit like we mentioned earlier, it is a very open license, and they encourage people to uh, make content for them. Um, and as long as you have a cool graphic design, really, that's the main thing more than anything else. Uh, yep. Make- Make something for it. Um, There was a time in my career when I did not think that layout mattered that much, where I'm like, yeah, the look at people have told me 
online that they're like, just give me the straight text in a readable font in two columns. And that's all I need. I don't need all, I don't need it to look like a coloring book. I don't need it to be fancy. And that's just not true. People think they want that, but when they get it, they don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the PDF, the free PDF text only version of, of this game is, it's real. It really lacks something because the flavor of the game is. Some of it is in the text, but so much of it is in the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's you know, and that's where a lot of the attitude comes from as well. Um, and I was initially disappointed when I got hold of this. You know, it promises itself to be a you know a doom metal thing or a you know the heavy metal album cover role playing game kind of thing. And I was thinking, well, you know, come on, Hawkwind, who actually did albums and toured with Michael Moorcock. Um, it did not have any any elements of, of that, but it has it. It does have its own flavor. It's not if you don't expect it to be the game of something you've already come across. It is its own beast, very much, and it's a large and scaly beast shambling towards Jerusalem. Um, <laughs> it's uh, waiting to be born. Yeah. Waiting to be born. Yeah. I do like, oh yeah, we haven't even mentioned the cutter, uh, the classes because there are some intri- like they. I do like the way they do class abilities. Um, that you roll a d, you there's six one, there's six abilities. Each class, you know, rolls or picks one of the six abilities, and they're thematic of like the class they're inspired by. Like there's a rogue, there's a fighter type, but like the fighter's called the Fang Deserter, and the the, the man, rogue is I would good. so play that. I would play the hell out of that. And then the like the gutterborn scum is the rogue equivalent, and um, yeah, it's it's very good. Like uh, because you get like one cool little trick you can do to even the odds, but that's it. And if you're doing a campaign, you can eventually get more of them. But uh, that's if you're doing that. That that's if your character survives an adventure. <laughs> Yeah, it goes on. Um, And it's a very easy template to make your own classes for. You just need to think of six abilities and some stat modifiers and bam, and some items and bam, you're done. The brown scimitar of Galgenbeck is not a brilliant joke, (laughs) but the the shoe from Death's Horse is pretty great. Uh, Any final thoughts on uh, Merkborg? Um. You know, it's fun. We probably overthought it. And when you were playing Merkborg, I would I would strongly encourage you to not overthink things and mm-hmm. just go with your gut and laugh a lot. Yeah. This looks like it is kind of bulletproof fun if you are in if you if you follow the vibe. Yeah. It is definitely a game of vibes uh more than, you know, I you know, airtight game design or um yeah uh and like that's sometimes that's all you need like it's like you don't want to overthink it like there there are games i prep for like days and weeks ahead of time and like think about and meditate on their games like uh yeah i can run this sure why not like and then invite friends over and just bullshit something in the last uh uh, 10 minutes you know right before they show up uh and this is very much that yeah I'd, i'd say you have to take it on its own terms um and if there was a session zero, and we were talking earlier, I'd, I'd have maybe a kind of almost a 10 or 15 minute thing of, of just, you know, do not expect, making sure that the player's expectations, particularly if they're not familiar mm-hmm. with it beforehand, that they're not expecting narrative, that they're not expecting to, you know, to role play a great deal, that they're not expecting the NPCs to be fleshed out and there to be, you know, narrative and themes and stuff like that. This is... Where it is old school uh, OSR, it's it's in the old school. This feels like um, an earlier, simpler, darker time, um, 
And if you take it at that level, you can have fun with it. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad I played it. I'm pretty sure I will never look at it again. I mean, that's that's really all we could ask, like, is to try out a, uh, a new game. Like, there's many games I've only played once uh, and will never look at again. So, um, but it's it, it, like, yeah, for me, it's fun. I'll probably play it again with some uh, my own material. Because, again, like I mentioned, it's very easy to graft onto your own material or adapt stuff from other games because it's so such a dead simple system. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we are ready for our backers. So, uh, Greg. Yoshiaki Joel Koga. Thank you, Yoshiaki Joel Koga. I appreciate your support. And I would like to thank uh, Scriblykins. Uh, I know Scriblykins. Uh, he is a patron of RPPR, uh, and I've actually run games for him online. He's a very cool person. And uh, I would like to uh, thank him for supporting Letter Narrative Dissidents. And uh, in our next episode, we are going to be switching gears just slightly. Uh, just slightly as we are going with Eclipse Phase Second Edition, which is, I mean, it's really the exact polar opposite of uh, Merkborg in every way. It is a very dense setting, uh, very complex rules. It is science fiction, and it is very serious. I mean, you can do bike games, of course, with it, but like, yeah. Uh, and uh, that will be a, a very interesting episode. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, we will talk to you all. Later. All right. Later. Ta-ta, y'all.